Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Welcome to the very first episode of Let's Talk Memoir. I'm Ronit Plank, and I'm going to be your host for this limited series. It's my absolute pleasure to share my conversation with Deborah Gwartney for episode one. Deborah Gwartney is the author of two book-length memoirs, Live Through This, a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award, and I Am a Stranger Here Myself, winner of the River Teeth Nonfiction Prize and the Willa Award for Nonfiction. Deborah has published in such journals as Granta, The Sun, Tin House, American Scholar, The Normal School, Creative Nonfiction, Prairie Schooner, and others. She's the 2018 winner of the Real Simple Essay Contest. She's also a contributing editor at Poets and Writers Magazine and received a Pushcart Prize in 2021 for her essay, Suffer Me to Pass, from Virginia Quarterly Review. Deborah is co-editor, along with her husband, Barry Lopez, of Home Ground, Language for an American Landscape. She lives in Western Oregon. Deborah, welcome to Let's Talk Memoir. Thank you, Ronit. Really great to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. And I should mention that you were my instructor in my MFA program at Pacific yes. University. And right. I had the pleasure of working with you twice for two semesters, mm-hmm. uh, the last one being my thesis semester, and you were my thesis advisor. So I'm I extra was. excited to have you here because you really kind of pushed me along my memoir journey. And I'm extra excited to be here with you because I loved working with you. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, we really did. And I think I, I, I've mentioned this before in other conversations, but I definitely was resisting the idea of doing a memoir. And mm-hmm. I absolutely had this idea about memoir that I don't have anymore. And I had a bias against memoir. And I felt at the time that, mm-hmm. you know, memoir might be, these are the older ideas I had, navel-gazing, yeah. right. self-serving, you sure. know, who am I to tell a story? You know, why exactly. should I tell a story? And mm-hmm. I remember among the many things you told me was that if I didn't tell my story, you know, who would? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I'm paraphrasing, and you can certainly correct me. And I have mm-hmm. gone on to tell people that you said that to me, and they found it mm-hmm. to be really encouraging for their own work. And so mm-hmm. I was hoping that you could speak a little bit about when you first began writing memoir work. Sure. Well, I didn't know what that word even meant, a memoir, maybe the same as you. I When I heard the term, I, I nobody was yet talking about navel-gazing and all those things. Of course, that's what you assume when you hear, oh, someone's writing about their own life and they're not a famous person. You think, well, why would I want to know about that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot to learn about what this genre meant. And I was extraordinarily fortunate that I was uh, attending graduate school in Tucson at the University of Arizona, and I saw this class called Memoir Writing, and I thought, why the heck not? And uh, the teacher was Vivian Gornick. And, oh, um, right. So thus began my devotion to Vivian Gornick. I mean, she is she shaped my sensibilities in a way that I'll always be extremely grateful for. Later, I was also 
extremely fortunate to study under Philip Lopate and also Sven Burkertz. And the three of them have a sense of the memoir that I just feel like I just, you know, went went to the bounty and hmm. got to feed on and feed on. I was a very lucky student at that time. And, you know, I've refined some of their ideas uh, to be my own, but that's, she particularly, you know, this was before the situation in the story even. So Mm -hmm. I think she was refining the ideas for that book in our classes. She said all the things that she would go on to write about in the book. It was absolutely fascinating. I mean, we'd read a book like you know, The Lover, or we'd read uh, Confessions of a Catholic Girlhood, and then she would talk about how, uh, what was working, not just structurally, voice-wise, the yeah. um, this, this incredible ability she has to really hone in on the dual narration, the character versus the narrator in mm-hmm. memoir. I, I, I wouldn't have even known to think about that way, except that she showed me in all of these books how that worked. I think uh, the book that just knocked me over at that time was Colette's My Mother's House. Um, And Gornick just had such a way of dipping into that that prose and and, uh, really parsing it so you understood how Colette came to the story as the adult looking back on her younger self looking for something very specific and that and that idea is about identity and mm-hmm. and Vivian Gornick would tell us all the time that every memoir asks the same question which is who am I and when once she showed me how that works in these various books I I felt really liberated to try it I I did I wrote some really lousy, awful memoir pieces in her classes, and she let me know that. But um, <laughs> I feel like I, you know, I had a place to build, and I built and built and built from there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, that's another, that, that makes me want to ask you, so sometimes I have this idea about art and creating, which is that if we're not good at it, you know, quote, good at it in the beginning, what makes us keep doing it? You know, why do we pursue, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of things I'm not good at, right? But why mm-hmm. do I persist in trying this one particular thing, right? So do yeah. you, looking back at yourself back then, have a hunch that, you know, you you had a knack for it, even though when you look back at the work, you you don't you're not really proud of it. Or do you think you could have gotten just as good in any genre? That's a great question. You know, I I thought I was going to be a fiction writer. I was certain that was my path, and then I I just became so fascinated with these books that uh, particularly she was showing me, and I and and then later Philip Lopate also turned me on to some books that. I just never would have found on my own. But I th- I think the authenticity of memoir just got to me in a way, and not that fiction is inauthentic, but it's just these people really went through these experiences and they have come back to open up their lives for us to step into in a way that compelled me to continue to right and also think about my own experiences are they worthy of this treatment i was super just you know discouraged especially when trying to write my first book i just i wrote it and wrote it and wrote it and i just couldn't figure out why i was unable to pull it all together but you know i 
I, I nearly quit several mm-hmm. times. And mm-hmm. my, my husband would say, okay, quit, go ahead, quit. And then put it away, live with that for a few year, few days, few weeks maybe. And if it calls you back, then you know that you have to do it. And it did call me back. Mm-hmm. So, um, I tried to, I tried to dump it. Wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> let me dump, wouldn't let, wouldn't be dumped. <laughs> um, could you talk a little bit about that book, especially because not everyone may have, have read it yet. So you can actually take this opportunity to talk about both of your mm-hmm. memoirs. Okay. Well, yes, thank you very much. I will. Uh, the first one is, as a, Someone wrote me about it just the other day and said that he'd read it. And I, I wrote back and said, I hardly remember the woman who wrote that book or who was in that book, but because it was, you know, 13 years ago now, you know, it was the book I needed to write then. Um, and it's about motherhood. I'm going to say that the, the illusions of motherhood that I fully bought into as a very young mom in my early 20s. And, uh, and when my I have four daughters, and when the two oldest ones uh, became teenagers, the conflicts between us became extreme. And um, so I think the book is about me as a slightly older person looking back on that, thinking, why, what was I getting out of the conflict? What was it, what was it that I needed to solve in myself um, mm-hmm. that, that was creating this trouble with my daughters? So... Um, it's really about that. The, the big lesson for me in writing it was that I kept trying to write their story. And I, when I realized one day, it was like this big explosion in the room. Oh my gosh, I have to stop writing their story in any way, shape or form. I need to write my story. (laughs) And, um, once I did that, it came together much better. I don't mean to simplify it. It It was a hard process. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, has anyone ever asked you how many years did it take you to write that? It took me eight years to write it. Yeah. I mean, people ask that question about memoirists, you know, or or maybe all writers, you know, and it sounds so daunting. But when you're in it, yes, it is daunting. But you just keep Mm -hmm. doing it and doing it because you have Mm -hmm. a goal in mind. And -hmm. you did try to dump it several times. Um, Mm -hmm. But then you went for it. And isn't it interesting that you had that big aha boom moment and everything, or a lot of it came together, but it took a lot of work to get to that aha, right? Yeah, a lot of work. And actually, the aha happened because the three of us did a segment for This American Life with our wonderful friend, Sandy Tolan, a, a radio producer. And when we sat down to listen to that piece, and I saw how the two daughters just, they they just stared at each other, this this uh, link between this, the lock of their eyes. And I thought, oh, wow, they had an experience that had nothing to do with me. How about that? (laughs) And um, so I realized they need to tell that story. I need to tell my story. It was a big moment for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. But anyway, on to the second book, which also took seven or eight years to write. So they have... uh, quite a bit of distance between them. I wrote a lot of individual essays in between and published those. The second book is about uh, basically about being a progressive left-leaning woman from Idaho who grew up in an extremely conservative 
not religiously conservative, but politically conservative family, just how I had to kind of find myself through that. It was a bit of a morass, you know, just this, uh, these mixed messages I was getting about what a woman was supposed to be and do and act. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be those things. And so it's really about trying to figure out how to be myself um, out of that environment. To, to love a place fully, deeply, profoundly, but know that it can never be my place. Hmm. Did you have second thoughts with either of the books at any point when it came to, you know, the, the books are memoirs. They have so much to do with other people in your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know a lot of memoirists have questions about how to share their own story when it involves other people so deeply, especially mm-hmm. with your daughters who you know, you're their mother. So how did Mm -hmm. you, how do you speak to that? I'm sure people have asked you that before, but I find that many memoirists have this question. So, or would be memoirists. Mm -hmm. So how do you address that? Well, yes, all memoirists have the question. I, you know, how many workshops have I taught? Hundreds and hundreds. Everyone has that question. How can I write about my mother, my sister, my brother, my boss, my whoever, uh, while that person is still alive? Uh, It's, it's it's a searing question. It's it's the one that keeps you up in the middle of the night, night after night, um, or at least it did for me in both books and in, in my standalone essays as well. But I think what I have talked to myself about a lot is, again, back to what you said earlier, Roni, which is that if you don't tell your own story, somebody else is going to tell it for you. I wasn't willing for that to happen. And I... I Every time I sit down to write, I tell myself some version of your responsibility, Deborah, is to hold your own feet to the fire, not to go in with any kind of blame of other people. In fact, the more that you can not blame the other people, the better. It's um, the, the idea is to look at the self again and again, not for self-flagellation. Nobody wants to read self-blame any more than they want to read mother blame or mm. whatever but um but that but this what philip lopate talks about that true sense of curiosity who was that person back then and why did she behave that way and i feel like if i can focus so tightly on those questions that the other people truly become characters in my work rather than you know, objects of derision or a reason to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, it's still hard. I'm not saying that it's just nothing. But I did talk to my daughters a lot about it and say, you know, I said to them, this book is about me. You are characters in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I can't tell my story without characterizing you in my book. And, you know, we had a lot of conversations about it. And I welcomed um, their input when they uh, when they finally read it and I changed a few things but not very many because mm-hmm. I felt like I really was you know I was I was writing about myself and yeah the second book too I, I was just terrified about my father's response to it uh, but I I really needed to write about the person who was his daughter and I couldn't write about mm. that daughter without including him. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, I just 
you know, I, I didn't go in there to beat him up. Mm-hmm. I went in to think, why is it so hard between us? Hmm. And um, and just kept asking myself that question. Which also kind of circles back to that idea of who is the character, you know, in the memoir. The character right. is this man's daughter. And, right. and what's what's it all about? What Why mm-hmm. do they act like this with each other? That's right. And only the narrator can sort that out. The narrator who's lived past the moment is looking back on it. Um, and, and I remind myself of that often, too. And I know I reminded you of it often, Ronit. It's, it's, <laughs> You're reminding not, me of it again. <laughs> yeah. It's not just two people in the room, the young Deborah, the, her father, but also the narrator, Deborah, who's looking at that, kind of standing in the doorway, watching it, saying, wow, look at how these two people are behaving with each other. It's about the dynamic between the two characters at the or the four characters or how many people are in the room that the narrator is most interested in just watching that dynamic unfold and say, goodness, look, look how they trigger each other. Look how they look at this coded language they have. Look at, look at how they're trying to say one thing and yet say another thing. And it's that dynamic that, that fuels and drives a memoir. Yeah. It's so good to even hear you say that. I mean, I spent so many so many months with you and reading the notes that you sent and, and, you know, being with you in workshop and yet hearing this is like refreshing all over again, Mm -hmm. because until you get it and then you have to kind of get it again and get it again and harness it when you're writing it, Mm -hmm. it's very hard. It's very Very hard. hard. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is I think I had moments where I wanted you to tell me what it was. Mm -hmm. What, what is it? What do you mean? Like who, who should be talking? What do you mean? And you would explain this again, but no one can give it to you as a memoirist. You have to like find it. You have to to come upon it yourself. And when you do, and I'm sure it's different from, for each memoir. Mm-hmm. The narrator, yes, of course, yeah, it is different, uh, and you know, I, I I call it the slippery fish because just when you feel like you've got it in your hands, zoop, the gaffa goes again. You know, so um, <laughs> it's it is um, confounding and bewildering often, but I think it's the first step, and I and that's why I think I, I often suggest to um, people I'm working with, and I probably suggested this to you that. You sit down with a memoir with three highlighters and go through and read it with um, where is the character I speaking? Where is the narrator I speaking? And then where is the kind of set up background context? And to, to highlight them in each different color and then kind of see how the balance works. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. And it's just something you cannot, there's nothing you can do but go through it. You have to do it. Yeah, but it's often recognizing it in other books yes. and 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 standalone pieces uh, is invaluable. And I yeah. also would say first-person narrative poetry um, does the same thing. So it's it's a for me it really helps to look at a one or two-page poem by Ellen Bass or Dorian Locks or or Lee Young Lee and and look at it and say how is that how are those two voices working together. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me. When when you have newer memoirists that you're working with, mm-hmm. could you say that there are some mistakes that you more often see? Or is there any kind of unifying theme to the 
the the way that younger or newer memoirists approach work that you often have to guide and shape? Yeah, I don't know if I would call it mistakes because it's, you know, it's all a process and you have to go through a lot of trying your own thing before you discover what you're good at and where you how you want to which road you want to go down. But absolutely, I, I, I think of them more as pitfalls that I see that people um, get into, you know, that, uh, that, that catches n- new writers and, and won't let them go often. And just a couple of those. One is, uh, you know, writing from the character's point of view. Look at me, poor me. Do you see how these people are causing me to suffer um, feel sorry for me, you know, that that will sink a memoir so fast. Hmm. Uh, we need the person who's standing way back and saying, I am a player too in this situation. Look how I manipulated or created my own part of this dynamic. So it's that that person, it's really easy to write from the character's point of view, but it doesn't go very far. So that's the number one. Number two, I think, is getting way too attached to what happened. And, and I think these two go hand in hand. The what happened gets so tedious in a hurry. <laughs> so it, we don't really even need to know that much about what happened. We need to know why what happened mattered to the person called I who has lived past it and is looking back. So you only write about the things that still have juice you know that still have mm-hmm. that still have their hooks in you and you think okay I'm going to write about that moment because I get very agitated when I think of it and um and it's the again it's the agitation the dynamic we're interested in not the logistics we were here then mm-hmm. this happened then that happened then this other thing happened then this person <laughs> came in then that person left we don't need to know that except to stay grounded we need to know where we are when it is and kind of the the you know basic information and then plow right into the dynamic and i'll tell you if if if, if this is someone who's really listening to this and think what is she talking about just go read the fourth state of matter by uh, joanne beard and ask yourself mm. how she chooses every moment in that absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant piece about um mm-hmm. she chose the moments that matter to the narrator not to mm-hmm. the character, to the narrator. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just say for my, you know, the, I could talk about 10 things. I'm just going to say quickly, <laughs> writing in the present tense uh, at first is, I think, a mistake, but that's just me. Write it in the past tense and then later if you want to move to present. But past tense is memoirs tense and um, doesn't mean that you have to stay there. It's a good place to learn. But mm-hmm. um yeah, I don't know if those are helpful, but those are those so are helpful. Two quick things. Yeah, they're just like so. I mean, I don't know. I'm just fangirling all over because oh. I feel like it's just good. It's like nutrients for my little memoir roots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what about you know for you in your own writing these days, mm-hmm. or or over time historically, is there? Mm-hmm. What what do you what have you found challenging, or what comes you know aside from what we've talked about? Um, in terms of character and narrator, what, what do you find challenging as a writer? Oh, I find all of it challenging. It's, um, <laughs> writing, it's, uh, writing is challenging. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's extremely difficult and, and asks everything, asks everything of us. And, uh, I, I guess I like being asked to push myself to the brink because I keep going back to it. Um, you know, I, I think, 
I just finished two pieces last week, which I was very pleased about because I I've been slowed down by a lot of life catastrophe. Um, but I I started thinking about how time as an element in memoir has always challenged me so much and that I'm learning. I'm teaching myself, I hope, and reading a lot of um, memoirs that play with time that, you know, you you can manipulate time on the page in a way that the reader can still follow it, but you don't have to be a slave to linear time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of, I'm playing with that a bit. And I'm also back to my own advice. I, I'm really challenging myself to only put in information that is essential instead of bogging the reader down with uh, episodic information. It just, I realized that the reader wants to feel, they don't want to do math and they don't want to, you know, sort out who's who, you know, or where mm-hmm. we, you know, just the, the information just gets to be a little bothersome. I would also just so suggest Thanksgiving in Mon- Mongolia also, she the way that she uses time, and um, and that again every every single thing that's in that piece is just loaded with dynamic and emotion and uh, and I will also suggest uh, you can find it online Marilyn Abelskov's uh, piece called uh, Still Life. Boy, what she does with time and characterization and the older narrator looking back on the younger self. And then uh, another big push for Jane Allison, who wrote uh, The Sisters Antipodes, and she's just so good at all of these things. So I just keep reading that work and thinking, how can I also pare my work down to dynamic and emotion and get all the kind of crud out of there that's just not that needed? Mm-hmm. And do you find that you have to write uh, a draft where y- you have more of it all there or are you really oh, yes. actually not spending time with those other pieces? Oh, no, no, like, no. Of course. I okay. mean, I'm talking about, you know, the fourth or fifth draft. I start thinking, OK, now what what am I really mm-hmm. after here? I don't even know what I'm writing at first. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it I takes, just suddenly thought maybe yeah. you're that genius that no. you just know what to pick out <laughs> the choiciest bits. I'm the polar opposite of genius. I'm a, I'm a hard, I'm the, I'm the workhouse horse out in the field. Clearly, I mean, really, I just, you know, I start with mud and then just kind of get myself to clarity as much mm-hmm. as I can. You know, do you think, this is a question I hadn't planned on asking you, but I feel like I really want to ask you, do you think that this kind of work, this kind of being able to sort out what was really happening for the narrator eye uh, requires that people have done introspection on themselves, that requires people to dig deep emotionally anyway. Because mm-hmm. to me, it's very much in sync with therapy work, with mm-hmm. you know growing as a person, with vulnerability. Do you think it's possible to do this kind of work in memoir without that? Oh, wow, that's such a fascinating question. And I'll, I'll try to keep my answer brief. But first of all, what I want to say is that I really cringe around the idea of, of memoir being either therapeutic or cathartic. Uh, I, I think th- there, maybe there's a whole genre of memoir that do that. I, I'm mm-hmm. that's not my that's not my subgenre. I'm mm-hmm. much more interested in is this a good piece of literature? Is this prose? You know, and and not mm-hmm. using it to sort myself out so much. But that said, 
I do think that the reader has to be convinced that a lot of the work has already been done. You know, that I, I've been thinking about this issue for some time and I'm, I'm not just this raw, mm-hmm. you know, pulsing mess coming to you. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm somebody who's really thought this through and now I'm just going to push to the end of self-awareness. Um, so I think, you know, again, Vivian Gornick and her book, the situation in the story says that the reader must believe that the narrator is on a journey of discovery. And I so, so believe that. And so, uh, but uh, you know what that has to do with the actual person who's writing, I don't know. You know, I think that mm-hmm. that's different for everybody. But for me, I don't go to the memoir and think I'm going to sort myself out today. I think I'm going to write something where the reader is convinced that these two sides of myself, the younger and the now, are finally seeing, the narrator is finally seeing herself more clearly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I know that that was a, a pretty uh, intricate question, and I appreciate how you how you were able to help me with that a little bit before we go on to our last two. I hope it made sense. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> no, it totally does, because I think what you're saying is you don't want to spend, in, in my own words, you don't want to spend two to 300 pages or more trying to figure out what it is you're trying to say. That's not something the reader wants to read. That's not what we're there for. True. We're there for, yeah. for the understanding that the narrator has of what has gone on in the story that they're telling. Mm-hmm. Um, so what memoirs do you find have taught you the most? You just mentioned a bunch, which which are great mm-hmm. resources. But over time, do you have work that you go back to again and again because of what you get from it as a writer? Most definitely. And obviously, the situation in the story. And then uh, Philip Lopik's uh, wonderful craft book, To Show and to Tell, very helpful to me. But memoirs themselves, number one on my list is The Sisters' Antipodes, which I've already mentioned it's just taught me so much. I also love Borrowed Finery by Paula Fox. Paula, Paula Fox. Fox. Yes, Paula, I, Paula I Fox. read that one. <laughs> yes, Paula Fox. That's a, it's, a, it's really taught me a lot. I would say that, you know, the, the first time I read uh, The Invention of Solitude by Paul Oster many years ago, I finished it and I thought, wait a minute, you can do that? And mm-hmm. it, it really, Paul Oster in general, even if I don't love his work, he gives me so much permission to um, try new things, as does Ann Carson, uh, who's you know more of a lyric essayist, um, or Anders Monson, or you know I, I love the short pieces by Claire Bade Watkins, so worth looking up. She just she has taken the memoir and moved it into she just let it meld into what she needs it to be, and I love that. I would also say the same about Eula Biss, um, who's so innovative, Melissa Phoebos. These are just incredibly innovative writers and they give me permission to be innovative too. So, Mm -hmm. and then I, I often reread Vivian Gornick's own memoir, uh, Fierce Attachments. There's no end to what you can learn from that book. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. And you know, a long time ago, I didn't, I didn't realize when I was working with you that you had actually studied with Vivian Gornick. I just want to say that I knew that you taught her work and and how much we learned about what she taught. But I didn't Mm -hmm. realize that you got to work with the woman herself, which something else. So in our last, (laughs) so in our last moment, do you among all of this advice, is there another grain that you want to, you know, just tease out and leave listeners with a piece of writing advice or inspiration that you'd like to offer 
Yeah, I guess, you know, I, I hope this isn't redundant, but I guess I would say, you know, don't be afraid. It's uh, even though it's super scary um, to step into the past and look at it with these, you know, try to clear your eyes and really look it's and, and don't be afraid of hurting other people. It's, it's so satisfying to get the story down. And I also would say, remember that nobody is going to read it, but you for the longest time to hold it tight to yourself. Don't share it too soon. And, and, oh, I, I know this makes people stare at me like I'm crazy, but don't show it to anybody you live with or you love for the longest time. Find other people who don't know you at all to read it first because the people who know you will, will ask you to change things before they even know what they're talking about. So it's, you know, make this a experience that feeds you in every way. And that's a little cumbersome of an answer, but there you go. <laughs> I know there's a whole bunch of jewels in there. <laughs> um, so Deborah, where can people find you if they want to read your work, learn more about you? Well, I, um, I, I do a better job these days of keeping my Facebook authors page going rather than my website. I do have a website, DebraGortney.com, but I, my life has been a complete disaster this last couple of years, so I haven't tended to it, um, but should. Uh, but I, I recently had a piece in Granta, so that's easy to find, um, and... Uh, I had a piece in the sun. I mean, I'm if just Googling my name uh, will bring up pieces, but, uh, but I'm pretty active on Facebook. That's probably where most of my news comes. Okay. In. Great. Yeah. And we'll, we'll have that link in the show notes too, so people can find you. And um, oh, that's nice. I want to thank you for being my guest. I'm so happy that you were able to share this time with me. And I'm so happy mm -hmm. that, you know, just to say again that I got to work with you and mm -hmm. that you started me on my memoir journey. So thank you well, so much, Deborah. Thank you, Ronit. It's just really wonderful to hear your voice and your insights and so appreciate it. Lucky listeners to be with you all through this series. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here. 